This is Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Each month, we interview experts in the field, discuss the data, and explore all facets of the housing market. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or a seasoned real estate professional, you will benefit from our insightful conversations and gain property intelligence as we discover more about the key issues shaping our industry. Now here's our host, Jason Mercer. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Mercer, Treb's Chief Market Analyst and the host of Treb's Ready to Real Estate podcast. We're thrilled to be recording an episode of RealtorQuest 2023. It's Canada's largest real estate conference and trade show. Our episode promises to be a valuable guide for better mental health as my guest, Hamza Khan, will be sharing insights on how people can beat burnout in their professional lives. Hamza is an award-winning marketer, best-selling author, and a global keynote speaker whose TED Talk, Stop Managing and Start Leading, has been viewed over a million times. He helps professionals and organizations build resilience, productivity, and leadership. And his client list includes Pepsi, LinkedIn, Deloitte, PwC, and Trivago, as well as over 100 colleges. He's also the author of an Amazon bestseller, The Burnout Gamble, Achieve More by Beating Burnout and Building Resilience. Hamza, thanks so very much for joining us today. Wow, Jason, thank you for having me, and thank you for making me sound a lot cooler than I actually am. That's quite the introduction, man. I feel like a wrestler. Well, you've done a lot, and I'm looking forward to talking about it over the next half hour or so. Thank so you. Really I appreciate, I appreciate you the opportunity, today. sir. Thank you. So look, at, I, I was really interested. I mean, you use two mythical animals, the dragon, and the phoenix to help explain burnout and a person's relationship to it. Maybe share what the phoenix and dragon mean and and how that kind of symbolizes that construct. Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, I'm a marketing and communications professional by trade. Many, many years ago, I started my career in the world of marketing, in the world of communications. I have a background in English literature. I've always been a fan of fantasy. And it's interesting that when I conceptualize these two metaphors for the possible directions burnout can take, I didn't start with the metaphors. I actually started with the acronyms. So I started with Phoenix as an acronym, and the ideas didn't spell Phoenix exactly in the beginning, but it was close enough. The ideas were persistent, helpless, overcompensating, extreme, negative, um, impatient, and explosive. And so with a little bit of adjusting, I got it to fit Phoenix over time. And then on the other hand, when I was talking about recovery from burnout, I conceptualized Dragon. And it was deload priorities, reconfigure focus, assemble boundaries, gain mastery over stress, overcome overachievement, and nurture resilience. So I started first with the ideas. I then massaged them into acronyms. And then over time, I started to think about my own journey with burnout. And it made sense to just lean into the phoenix and the dragon. So the phoenix, the mythical creature that burns bright, burns out, burns bright, burns out, burn right. bright, burns out. It dissolves into the ashes and hopes to reemerge every single time. That is, uh, it, it, it's, it's not sustainable. Let's just put it that way. Sure. I've approached my career as a phoenix would approach their life many times and it has ended poorly for me. In 2014 is when I burned out for the last time in spectacular fashion by hoping to take this miraculous trip around the world that was going to recover all of the lost mental, physical, and emotional energy over the span of 2014. Didn't happen. I just spoke about that earlier. The type of productivity that I practice now is very much the way a dragon would, a mythical creature that is very much in control of its fire. And so those are the two ideas that I have, the phoenix and the dragon. And they seem to have stuck. People understand them implicitly, especially fans of fantasy. And when you think about you know, the, the two approaches to productivity, they help to decide 
Do you want to behave in an unsustainable way that loses fire eventually, or do you want to go all in on something more calm, powerful, and resilient? Yeah, so just help me understand a little more. I get, I get the Phoenix side of it where, you know, there's this sort of vicious circle yes. where you're going strong, but, you know, it's taking its toll on you and you burn out and then you, you recharge a little bit, but maybe not as much as the last time. And it's exactly. Kind of this, there's diminishing this, returns. It's downward trend. Diminishing returns is a great way of putting it. How, how does the dragon differ from that, that it's more of a, I guess, a steady state? Is that sort of the idea? Productive or? anxiety is yeah. the, the phrase that I would use. The dragon isn't engaged in this manic explosiveness right. like a Phoenix is. But it's not exactly in the comfortable home zone either. Sure. It's always just in a tranquil, productive hum. It's always just there. It's doing something. Uh, it has one foot in, in you know, the danger zone and one foot in the home zone. Sure. It's in between. And it's, it's able, a dragon is able to expend energy in a dramatic way, but just as quickly and effectively recover right. the lost energy. So more of a virtuous circle almost. That's it. Absolutely. You got it. And you published a, a best-selling book, which I think is a phenomenal accomplishment you, in of itself, uh, The Burnout Gamble. And you published this back in, in, in 2017. Wow. And we've seen a lot of global events, obviously, the, the, not the least of which is the, is the pandemic, yes, but sir. a lot of other stuff is going on up until this day that's happened since then. Um, how's your understanding of burnout that you spoke to in that book, how's that changed over, say, the past five years or so? in some pretty substantial ways, Jason, to be honest with you. I thought when I began my research into burnout, and I approached this research as somebody, you know, just a lay person that burned out, trying to seek answers for what had happened to me and how I could prevent this from happening. And I approached this from the perspective of productivity. How could I optimize my productivity without veering off the path that resulted in me being debilitated for as long as I was in 2013, 2014, I should say. Um, and I initially thought that burnout happens in a linear fashion, that you have to go through all 12 of the 12 stages of burnout in sequence, which is compulsion to prove oneself, working harder, neglecting needs, so on and so forth. But the sudden adversity caused by the COVID-19 pandemic illustrated for me another model called the Holmes and Ross Stress Index. It illustrated the, the, the potency of that model, which shows that you can actually skip steps. You can actually jump from not being burned out or being at stage one of burnout, and you can go all the way to stage 12. The Holmes and Ross Stress Index is a list of, I think, 43 different transitions that a human being might undergo in their lifetime. The most stressful of them is the death of a spouse, understandably, that has a score of 100. And the least stressful thing is a minor violation of the law with a score of 12. Now, if in a calendar year you rack up a score of more than 300, then you're at severe risk of illness, injury, or worse, even fatality. So what my understanding of, of the pandemic and burnout has done for me is help me understand and appreciate that people can skip steps A. But also, individualizing and medicalizing burnout as a phenomenon is insufficient, especially when we consider that burnout's determinants happen to be largely imbalances across job demands and resources, and those things fall within the purview of leaders. So those of us who are listening to this right now, who are in organizations that have a hierarchy, you might be a leader or you might be reporting into a structure that has a distinct leader, understand that it's factors like fairness, values, control, workload, reward, and community. If you're experiencing imbalances at that level of the organization, that they can trickle down and make burnout a reality for employees downstream. But if those factors are present in an organization, then the reality is that not only will frontline employees burn out, but there's a good chance that this might actually move up the chain 
and result in executives burning out as well. So that's the ways, the two ways in which my understanding of burnout has changed over the pandemic. That A, you can skip steps, and B, it's not necessarily an individual problem as much as it is a system level problem. Yeah, let me expand on that a little bit because I mean, you know, some people will be at the bottom end of that index, so there there can be a lot of sort of small events, and they don't they don't get up to that three hundred level where no. you're where you're getting. Whereas you know, other people, as you're talking about and getting back to the the Phoenix analogy, they find themselves in a situation where they're adding up to to, to three hundred on a on a regular basis or a recurring basis, and right. and, and eventually you know it, it takes its toll in it in 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 a bad way. Uh, I guess. What are the factors, or, or if someone's sort of sitting there thinking about sort of the risks of burnout, sort of what are the factors where you can get yourself at the lower end of that spectrum, you know, more often than not, versus, versus you know, factors that can lead you to, you know, events transpiring that are, that are adding up to burnout more often, or, or I guess you're, you're in risk of hitting burnout more often. I hear you. So, so Jason, what you're asking is how, how do you recognize when you're reaching that level? Is yeah, it, or if you're headed in that direction. If you're headed right? in that direction, okay. Yeah. The easiest predictor for whether or not you're going to burn out is the amount of hours that you're working every single week. Right. And Gallup has concluded this time and again that the best predictor of whether the individual is going to experience burnout is laughably obvious. It's whether or not you work in excess of 50 or 60 hours a week. Now, as realtors, as real estate partners, those are rookie numbers for us, let's be honest. We're, we're easily clocking in more sure. than 60 hours of work a week. But know this, the risk of burnout increases substantially when you work more than 50 hours of work a week and incur all the chronic stress that comes with it. And after 60 hours of work a week, it's not a question of if you're going to burn out, it becomes a matter of when you're going to burn out. So there's two things that have to happen over here. One, if you're a sole proprietor or if you're just looking after your own portfolio, take stock of how many hours you're putting into work. If you are able to diminish the stress that you're incurring during that time. That's fantastic, that's called resilience building, but you wanna ultimately find ways to curb the amount of total hours you're working every single week. If you have an environment where you can delegate work or you can report up to a leader, have that communication with them as soon as possible. If you are a leader, have that communication with your staff. Open up the organization as much as possible. As a leader, you wanna have structured one-on-ones. Ask your staff, how are they doing? How are their stress levels? How much hours are they, pl are they clocking in every single week? What can you take off their plate? And if you are an employee reporting into a leader, let's say you're part of a larger brokerage, Disclose early to your boss that you're not okay. And it's fine, in 2023, we can have a very different conversation about burnout than we might have had in say 2014 or 2007, the two instances where I burned out. In 2007 when I burned out, I brushed it under the rug. Jason, I was like, I can't let anybody know that I went through this, sure. lest they think that I can't hack it in the industry. Yeah. Then that caught up with me in 2014 when when I burned out is in front of everybody. And I couldn't avoid the underlying problem, which was an unhealthy relationship with stress. But in 2023, it's as simple as saying, I'm not okay, I need help, I think I'm burning out. And trust that an organization is going to take, or at least a human-centric leader in your organization will try to help you. And I think the fact that we're even having this conversation in 2023 in t just goes to show how much the conversation has changed, how normalized burnout has become, how much part of the zeitgeist it is right now, and uh, I'm confident that we're trending in the right direction. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, if we were having the same conversation 10 years ago, I think the comfort level would be a lot lower. Um, but at the same time, you know, I had it in my notes here to ask you about the other side of the coin about, you know, how an employer can can take steps to, to make sure, you know, people aren't getting burned out yeah. or, you know, and, and as you say, you know, the employer could be yourself as a sole proprietor, but it could also be, you know, a broker, a broker of record or, or, uh, or what have you. But you kind of answered that question, but maybe I'll, I'll take a bit of a different tangent on it you know if, if I'm a progressive employer 
and, and, and I want to make sure my people are getting burnt out and they're, they're being productive, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, they're, 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 they're not at risk of burnout. How, how do I approach that with, with, with my, my group of people and say, look at like, we need to, we need to get on a different track here. Wow. And, and but as you say, like not everyone's comfortable having that conversation. That is a four point eight billion dollar question you've asked over <laughs> here. Right? What can leaders do to mitigate burnout within their organization? I can really nerd out about this stuff. This is the other side of my research. So today I'm speaking about burnout. I just did a session on that. I'm doing one tomorrow as well. I think at one o'clock, getting the right things done. We're going to dive deep into this. But the other side of my research is focused on destructive leadership during times of change, with the assumption that leaders are not evil. They're just scared. They're making bad decisions, conservative decisions, in terms of resources during times of change. And the hallmarks of this are as follows. And they spell out the acronym debris. So as a leader, as an employee, you want to be on the lookout for debris in the organization. And the phrase that I use is, if you see debris, it might be time to flee. So first we have dogmas in the organization. These were previously values, the set of shared beliefs that determine organizational culture, what we reward, tolerate, and punish. But when they devolve into their stubborn counterparts, dogmas, that's one sign of debris. The next is egotism. When a leader is you know, uh, caught up in, in this sort of cult of personality, making decisions that are only benefiting themselves at the expense of other people. And this is actually called the dark core of personality traits. It's the tendency to maximize utility for oneself while accepting, neglecting, or provoking disutility for others. It's usually the easiest tell if a leader is in it for the wrong reason, so right. egotism. Then the B is blinders. Um, previously, these were strategic frames, the set of assumptions that determine how people view the organization, but gradually and then suddenly people become closed off to feedback and can't see beyond their day-to-day -day operations. Then we have routines, then we have inequity in the organization, and the S would be shackles. These were previously relationships to, or ties I should say, to customers, clients, partners, stakeholders, perhaps even shareholders if you're in a public company. But when they devolve, when all of these things devolve into their stubborn counterparts, that's when things become shaky. So it's imperative that a leader recognizes when debris is starting to form in an organization and understand that that is, that, that is all pointing towards this, this phenomenon known as active inertia, right. which is the tendency to repeat established patterns of behavior even in response to dramatic environmental shifts. How do we solve this? Quite simply, by opening up the organization, especially when it seems counterintuitive to do so. The last thing you want to do when times are changing, when people are burning out, when um, the market is changing, is make decisions in a silo, make decisions in a vacuum. This is the perfect time to actually turn to the people at your board, to turn to your fellow C-suite executives, to turn to your employees, bring them in and say, how do we get through this together? Open up the organization as much as possible. And I say this knowing that there is a substantial perception gap between how leaders view an organization in terms of health and wellness and how employees view the organization. McKinsey did a study recently where they found that on average there's a 22% variation between an employer's perception of health and wellness benefits in an organization and an employee's perception. And this is pretty obvious, right? Because if you're the leader of the organization, you probably make more money, you probably live closer to the office, you probably have better daycare privileges, you probably have more benefits. Whereas an employee in the same organization will report lower health and wellness, but because we're not talking to each other, because there's no frequent one-on-ones, there's no reverse town halls, there's no knowledge sharing like what we're doing right now, yeah. those perception gaps widen and widen and widen, and then 
turnover happens, burnout happens, disengagement happens, a lack of productivity happens, and a leader's like, what's going on? And then like, all you had to do was just open up the organization when it seemed absurd to do so. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, we, we were talking before we started recording today uh, about the fact that we haven't had a RealtorQuest conference since 2019 because of the, because of the pandemic. And so yeah. when we're thinking about debris in organization, when we're thinking about the gap yes. uh, between you know, employee and, 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 and employer, like we're kind of going through that, that period of time right now mm -hmm. where we're, we're in some ways getting back to normal, but in some ways, you know, there's a, there's a new normal and there's a bit of a, uh, a conflict there, um, I, w I, w I would say. And so, you know, maybe talk about that a little bit more in terms of, you know, the, the, the past three years as we went through the pandemic, you know, there's been heartbreak, it's placed a lot of intense stress on many people. Um, we're, we're emerging from some of that stress, but at the same time, what advice do you have for, for people as, as they're returning to more familiar or normal lives, but at the same time, that, that new quote-unquote normal is a lot different than you know what they're used to back in 2019. Yeah. Excellent question. And to your point earlier, like this is a little bit overwhelming, I must say. I mean, like a 10,000-person conference, yeah. it's a lot, especially for those of us who haven't attended something like this in a long time. Um, I know that I fell into multiple negative spirals during the last three years, thinking about the ways in which leaders were failing to react in ways that were pro-human, that were in the benefit of employees, clients, communities, and ultimately the planet. And uh, at times I would say I even flirted with depression a little bit, thinking about how we operate in this paradigm that was shaped by one guy many, many years ago in the 1800s, a man by the name of Frederick Taylor Winslow. This is his world and we're just living in it. So scientific management, the practices that are present in all of our organizations were created by this one guy at the turn of that, I think third or second or third industrial revolution. And his obsession was to find the one best way to accomplish task. But what happened as a result of that, people ran with that and became focused on efficiency. It became focused on outcomes right. and the, t the balance between outcomes and outputs and ultimately how do we generate the mm -hmm. maximum amount of efficiency from the individual. Where we need to go is back to an ancient future of sorts where we prioritize individuals, individual thriving, well-being, and we put the needs of the employee first and do so knowing that when employees are thriving, when they're well, they're actually more productive, they're more loyal, they're more engaged. There's this unfortunate idea that has sprung from the Taylorist school of thought that the needs of the mission are at odds with the needs of the employee and vice versa, the needs of the employee are at odds with the needs of the mission. But the way through, the way to productivity, to employee thriving, to organizational thriving is through employee thriving. So a couple of things that could be done over here, um, you know, I talked about this earlier in my session, prioritize calm over chaos. I think it's become the strategy du jour for many employers to still work at the pace dictated by the early days of the pandemic where everything was chaotic, you know, do more with less, roll up your sleeves, we're gonna need you to hustle. But we haven't stopped doing that nearly three years after that style of working was popularized. So prioritize calm over chaos. Another thing I would say is to embrace change, develop a change friendliness, to not resist change, not parry it, to not pretend like it's not happening but to actually anticipate it, to predict it, and to react to it appropriately when the time comes. And finally, I would say to develop self-awareness. I talked about this earlier. Everybody here has developed resilience by mere virtue of living through the pandemic, but we can only access that resilience by reflecting on what it is that we've gone through. And I use the idea of exiting through the gift shop of adversity, not empty-handed, but in possession of a mantra, a value, a saying, 
a person, a song, a belief, something that got you through the adversity of the last three years, make sure you know what that is because there's a good chance you're going to need to rely on it again and again and again as you move through the future, the uncertain future of work in which the only constant is constant change. I think that concept of embracing change is a nice segue to sort of the, the, the last point I wanted to discuss okay. with you today. And, and that's sort of thinking about, you know, the role of technology. So this morning at our, at our spring annual meeting, um, our past president was talking about, you know, all the technological solutions that we've been launching and, and there's more to come. And, and some of it has to do with, you know, artificial intelligence and what have you. And so, you know, thinking about, you know, the office environment, thinking about burnout, I can see, you know, the one side of the coin you're saying, well, if we bring on uh, uh, technologies like artificial intelligence, you know, maybe that'll lift the weight uh, off some people that are feeling the burnout. But then on the other hand, I could see how it could lead to, you know, more stress in the workplace True. where, you know, now now people are starting to think about the technological substitution of labor. Am I yeah. going to be replaced? Yeah. And so am I going to have to work extra hard now to make sure I'm not supplanted by technology? And so yes. you have these sort of competing forces of technology, one that could alleviate burnout, the other that could, you know, add to it. Yes. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh man, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, I love I love that word supplant. By the way, that's probably like a, a sixteen pointer on Scrabble if we were to plant that one down, right? Um, that is a very natural reaction to this very disruptive technology. I heard somebody who has seen all of the technological disruptions over the last fifty years. So this person, an elder in my life had seen the beginning of modern computing, the internet and social media, and she said to me that AI is giving her the same chills, the same fears that personal computing did back in the day. And that you know, took me aback, thinking, wow, from your vantage point with somebody with wisdom and a wider time scale, you're feeling that this is the most dramatic technological leap, a quantum leap that we've made. And I share that because I use AI probably at least a couple of times a week. I used it to inform some of the insights in my presentation prior to this. I find it to be a better search engine of sorts than Google. It's its own thing. When I use ChatGPT and other generative AI technologies mid-journey to develop some of the slides that I had in my presentation, it is a force multiplier. So the challenge, let's just say this, the challenge is exactly what you said. There are some very real threats that AI poses. It can outwork human intelligence, it will outwork human intelligence, and arguably more resourceful and productive than all of us tuning into this podcast combined. By no later than 2045, I'd say. Right. That's when most futurists concur that the singularity will occur. So this device over here will be more resourceful and productive than all of us here combined. And that is terrifying. So that is the challenge that it will cause massive disruptions to the workforce. Conservative estimates say that 70% of existing jobs will be affected by um, automation, AI, robotics, but specifically AI. But I see the opportunity in this as well. And maybe I'm naive, but I like to think of myself as healthily optimistic that what AI will do for us, if done correctly, in conjunction with policymakers, organizations like T-Reb that can advocate for better uses of this in industry, is it'll free up our time away from mundane, repetitive tasks. Because let's face it, in our day-to-day, -day, there are mundane, repetitive tasks. Even in the work that I do as an author, you know, I don't like copy editing. I don't like substantive editing. Sure. I don't like doing the research that informs my book. But what I use AI for is the force multiplier of getting to that end state quicker and then outsourcing those things to a set of programs, prompts, machines that will take away the tedium of work and free up my time to be more creative, more collaborative, that allow us to lean into the attributes, the skills that are uniquely human, the disruption-proof values and attributes, like the ones being demonstrated right now curiosity, right. uh, communication, collaboration, critical thinking, 
So I would prepare yourself for a world in which everything that can be automated will be automated and start to think about the things that you do every single day that your clients love. Yeah. That uh, you know, put a twinkle in your eyes, that your family and friends have come to rely on. And look forward to that world because I think that if done correctly, everybody benefits, clients, communities, and the planet. But we just have to be strategic over the next five to 10 years and not let ourselves get caught up in this AI lust without thinking about the consequences on the other hand. And if I could share a personal anecdote. Sure. You know, my dad is right in the crosshairs to lose his job because of AI. So my dad runs a convenience store, right? South Asian dad, think of a more stereotypical job running a convenience store. Where I live in New York, and I spend a lot of time in New York and Toronto, we now have personnel-free convenience stores. You can walk into a convenience store with your Amazon Go app, Amazon Prime app, and just shop without human beings. And my dad just can't wrap his head around this. And I'm like, Pops, you got to get out of the game as soon as possible because <laughs> the changes that are coming, yeah. they might be inconvenient for you, but for the economy as a whole, for the world that we want to build, they're in the best interest of everyone because if this AI was around when you were starting your career, this might have freed up your time, a future version of you to actually pursue the things that brought you joy and not get caught up in the traps of doing the tedious work that created the sequence of events that led you down this life path. And that's a hard thing for me to say as a son, that's a hard thing for him to receive as my father and just as an individual that this life that you've built could end very soon because of AI. But I encourage everybody listening to this to see the opportunity in addition to the challenge. It's easy to get bogged down by the challenge, but the opportunity is pretty, pretty, pretty enticing yeah. and amazing, I should say. I'm very optimistic about this, and I'm usually very pessimistic and even cynical about AI, but I think that we're moving in the right direction. The fact that we're even having this conversation yeah. is a testament to that. And, and I think, like, I, I think you really, you know, hammered home the nail on that one in the sense that, you know, technology can be used to, to help us. And there's a big difference between working hard and just being busy. And, and, and so if, if, if AI can help a lot of people get away from the busy work and they can yes. work hard on innovating, creating something new, you know, the, the hard work, you get rewarded for that. And so it doesn't necessarily lead to burnout, whereas you get burnt out doing tedious, busy work, right? And Jason, let me add to that. I mean, I speak to realtors all the time through the work that I do. I've spoken to several realtors for the time that I've been here over here. At, at this conference, Realtor Quest 2023. And people have told me that the thing that they love most about the work that they do is the client relationships. Hanging out with the clients, seeing the smile on their face, seeing the twinkle in their eye when they're able to bring them to a home, bring them to a yeah. business, and they can see them their future in that home to see a business that they can build. Those intangible things are not going to be disrupted by AI. There's no substitute for that. That is a uniquely human characteristic, a uniquely human dynamic. and. I wholeheartedly agree with you that what AI should do is take away everything that you don't like doing in your day-to-day -day and allow you to go all in okay. on the 20% of that Pareto principle. Typically with the 80-20 rule, 20% of inputs determine 80% of outputs. The reason why all of you are successful who are tuned in live, who are gonna hear this after the fact, is because you're really good at that 20%. Imagine a future where you spent 100% of your time doing those 20% tasks. That is the future we're moving towards. I think that's great, and it's a really good point to end off on. You know, we've seen a lot of changes over time. Certainly the real estate space has. Yet, you know, Treb is 70,000 plus members strong, and many of them are gonna be, you know, walking through the Toronto Congress Center over the next couple of days, and many of them will probably take in your, your presentation. So Hansa wow. Khan, thank you very much for, for taking part in today's podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I uh, can't thank you enough. Thank, thank you. you very thank much. You. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. 
that's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate. Thanks for tuning in.